0: Gorgeous State Park, located about halfway between Cashers and Brevard, is set in the midst of plunging waterfalls, rugged river gorges, sheer rock walls, and a high concentration of rare species due to the 80 inches of rain that the area receives each year, which is enough to qualify it as a temperate rainforest. Most people are drawn to the park to explore Rainbow Falls and Turtleback Falls which lies just upstream, as well as Bear Wallow Falls which lies in the northern section of the park. Backcountry style recreation has been a hallmark of Gorges, with distance hiking and backpack camping, but trout fishing, mountain biking, and horseback riding are also welcome in various parts of the park's rugged interior. In this episode, I sit down with Kevin Bischoff. He's the new park superintendent for Gorges State Park. And we talk about many of the things that make this park so special. Kevin goes in depth to describe the new front country campground that is nearing completion. The challenges of managing a remote park that shares a boundary with a national forest, waterfall and hiking safety, and environmental education programs, which is near and dear to Kevin's heart. I was also surprised to learn there are actually 20 named waterfalls within the park, but due to the steepness and rugged nature of this park, they're only accessible to the most arduous and experienced hiker. If you've been looking for an opportunity to explore the Western North Carolina mountains without the large crowds, this episode is for you. You're listening to Exploration Local, a podcast designed to explore and celebrate the people and places that make the Blue Ridge and Southern Appalachian Mountains special and unique. My name is Mike Andrus, the host of Exploration Local. Join us on our journey to explore these mountains and discover how they fuel a spirit of adventure. We encourage you to wander far, but explore local. Let's go. I'm excited to have Kevin Bischoff here with me. He is the park superintendent for Gorges State Park. And uh, we're going to learn uh, today a lot about all the exciting things or many of the exciting things going on at Gorges State Park. But um, I'm excited for our listeners and for me too, to get to know Kevin a little bit more here uh, in this episode. So Kevin, first of all, man, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day. I know that you're running a little short staff there at the Visitor Center.
1: Absolutely. I greatly appreciate it the time and, and I'm always, always excited to talk about Gorge's and, and the area that, that Gorge's encompasses.
0: Yeah, no doubt, man. It's, a, it's an amazing place and we're going to hear a little bit more about that. But before we kind of dive into it, Kevin, you and I were talking earlier about our listener uh, demographic and they are coming from... You know, 750 different U.S. cities and 18 to 20 different countries. So they're not all from North Carolina and they don't all necessarily understand Western North Carolina, but I know they're going to be excited about the things they hear. Let's start by talking about where Gorges State Park is located. And then let's talk a little bit about um, the unique makeup and the characteristic of Gorges State Park.
1: Sure, absolutely. The, you know, now we've talked about it, where. That that amount of cities um, that are falling in this area, it is a little bit surprising. But then, um, and you know, we start thinking about all the folks that come to visit. It's it's really not that surprising. A lot of folks come to this part of the state um, for tourist opportunities. Um, and it's and, and you and I are both uh, lucky enough to live someone somewhere where people come to vacation. Um, that means something about our choices and where we where we've decided to live. Oh yeah. Um, but, Gorgeous State Park uh, is technically our mailing address is Sapphire. It's a very small town. Um, it is situated in between the towns of Cashiers. It's it's, it's spelled Cashiers, but it's actually spe- um, uh, pronounced Cashiers. Um, that's how the locals uh, kind of thin out, whether you're from around the area <laughs> or not. Um, and it's in between Cashiers and Brevard. Um, where that is you know, on a broader scale is we're extreme western North Carolina, and we're actually located just on the North Carolina-South Carolina border, um, not too far from where the Georgia South Carolina borders intersect the North Carolina border. Uh, it takes about, um, from the park, it'll take about an hour and a half to get to Asheville uh, <laughs> depending on the traffic on, on, on some of the local highways. Um, but it's not too far. Um, uh, but where we are geographically sitting is on the blue Ridge escarpment. Um, and that's a, a fancy way of saying where the mountains start to slope off into the South Carolina flat country. Um, because of that, where we're situated on the Blue Ridge Escarpment, um, we, actually, um, we actually get a tremendous amount of rain. All the moisture from the Gulf of Mexico pushes up um, into the mountains, and when it does so, it drops a bunch of rain. Um, and in that short amount of time that it takes to drive from here to Asheville, that hour and a half drive, um, it's actually um, a, a quite a bit difference in rainfall in that area considered a, um, a temperate rainforest so a lot of folks will come and visit um, they get they get really upset when they come and not really upset but some of them get f- fairly upset in the fact that they think they're coming into a jungle or a tropical rain uh, rainforest but um, it's temperate rainforest we do um, as a matter of fact last week we got just a little bit of snow we get snow um, here on uh, fairly frequently which which is one of the big differences um, because of the topography and all that rain we, we average um right now in the last 10 years or so we're actually averaging more uh, a little bit closer to 100 inches of rain per year um than our our we normally say not, a little bit above 90 so we're we've had a decent amount of rain but because of that topography and all that rain um this this area um Gorgeous state park in the county we sit in um, transylvania county uh, is considered the land of waterfalls um there's there's a handful of major river systems that are all tucked in real close to each other um, and as the mountains flow off into South Carolina, um, that topography creates a lot of a lot of waterfalls, which makes that, this area um, one of the most popular places to see waterfalls uh, really in North Carolina, but the entire eastern seaboard.
0: There are a lot. And the people who live here, people who have traveled here will know, you know, Rainbow Falls. or know. Um, is it called Turtle Back Falls or just Turtle Falls? It's called Turtleback. Turtleback, yeah. Okay. So you have those two. And something I've learned here just recently, actually from you, is that there is a difference between U.S. Forest Service and North Carolina State Park. uh, Lines within the area and Rainbow Falls is actually um, owned and managed by the U.S. Forest Service, but it really is kind of right in your backyard. So people get hurt. People need assistance. You all are, are right there front and center.
1: Absolutely the um gorgeous state park proper actually has a, a it's over 20 named waterfalls within the park um just a couple of them have trails to them one of the most popularly visited waterfalls in this immediate area is rainbow falls and turtleback falls um, which is, is part of the Horse Pasture River, um, and as the Horse Pasture River flows down eventually into Lake Jocasse, actually never crosses within Gorgeous State Park boundaries. As, as we discussed, it's it's on Nanahala National Forest. It's considered Nanahala National Forest, but it is managed by Pisgah National Forest Office. So it's quite a confusing little spot, and one of the main differences that we talk with folks, a lot of folks um, come and want to ask about whether or not they're permitted to swim down and around um, Rainbow Falls and Turtleback Falls. And because it's U.S. Forest Service, they advise people not to swim. Um, In North Carolina State, but there's no, you know, they advise them not to swim. And in North Carolina, we don't permit swimming in undesignated areas. So if there are waterfalls owned and managed by North Carolina State Parks, they wouldn't be able to swim at them at all.
0: I see. And because it's U.S. Forest Service, that's why you see people sliding down Turtleback Falls and swimming at the base of, Rainbow Falls, then without being, uh, you know, asked to get out or instructed to leave or whatever.
1: That's exactly right. Um, you know, to add, um, to add to the confusion of it all, um, <laughs> the, the, the access uh, uh, to that those waterfalls um, is, is actually through the state park. Um, so folks come and park in our parking lot. It's a Rainbow Falls parking lot. Um, they walk a mile and a half down to Rainbow Falls, and, and about halfway down that hike, they actually cross off of gorgeous State Park property. And on to the U.S. Forest Service property and there you know when there there are incidents that happen along that river system people often slip and fall on the rocks because they they can be quite slick um, medical emergencies we're very fortunate to have Lake Toxaway volunteer fire department that is, is very close and then we work closely with them so um, just because we don't we don't own that property doesn't mean that we don't respond when people are in need so um, that will add to a little bit to the confusion as well but um, we all work together to help people when they're in need down there. So that's, that's really the main, main focus at the end of the day.
0: Awesome. Well, good. Well, we want to come back to that and talk a little bit more about waterfall safety and, and also about uh, some of the other resources and the assets that are right there in, and also near uh, gorgeous state park. But before we do, let's get to know you a little bit more, Kevin, because you are new as of this summer, right? I don't know the date, but as, as of this summer, you became, the newest the latest park superintendent for gorgeous state park
1: that's exactly right i started um, back here um, in that position actually a memorial day weekend so it was at the end of may okay Um, prior to that i've i've actually been working with north carolina state parks um, for about 14 and a half years i I started um, in the middle part of the state at jordan lake um, actually worked out towards the coastal plains and then from the coastal plains actually came back to Gorges to work as a park ranger from 2011 to 13 Um, and in between my that eight eight and a half year stint um, that I wasn't working at Gorges I actually worked at Lake James as a ranger um, and I worked at Mount Mitchell and Grandfather Mountain as a superintendent so I most recently have worked at Grandfather Mountain as a superintendent as I said fortunate fortunate to come back. You know, all the parks that I've ever worked at, people always ask me what my favorite park is, and I've always been very diplomatic and said whatever park I worked at. But, <laughs> That's right. Um, I am, I'm fortunate now that I don't have to be diplomatic anymore, and I don't have to lie. I can I can say what I mean, and, and working at Gorgeous is my, my favorite state park in the state of North Carolina, so I'm, as I said, I'm happy to be back.
0: Wow, that says a lot, because you just named some really amazing state parks, and they're all amazing in North Carolina, but Especially if uh you're coming from those areas and you can say gorgeous state Park is uh one of your favorites i I know even from talking with you and before we start recording that that's authentic and real, and it's not just you know podcast talk <laughs> so yeah no yeah
1: no it's it's definitely not <laughs> i I can as i said i'm as a a government employee, I can be diplomatic and but i'm I'm not a very good liar, so <laughs> i usually people just smile when they say, "What's your favorite park and I n- name the one that I worked at so um, Yeah, Gorges is definitely this this area. Even outside of Gorges, I spend a lot of time, you know, my personal time recreating. So I, it's really an incredible place to live. And and I, I always tell people that you need to push really hard to live somewhere that you'd vacation. So I'm, as I said, I'm fortunate to live and work in this area. Uh, it's been I'm, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio originally, and um, you know, the winters up there can be pretty gray, and it's even even a cold winter day and and. and really all parts of North Carolina can still be a really pretty day. So um, it's a great state. and It's a great state to be working in for sure.
0: All right. So let's talk a little bit more about this amazing place, right? So we started talking about Transylvania County. People have heard it referred to as Land of waterfalls. We've talked about Rainbow Falls. We've talked about Turtleback Falls. But I had no idea until you just said this, is that there are 20 other named waterfalls within the park. Some have trails to get to them, some don't. But I had no idea that you had that many waterfalls in that area.
1: Gorges State Park property is just under 8,000 acres. Kind of surprising, when I I had been to the park, um, and 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 after I started doing some research, realized that Gorges State Park actually has lake frontage as well. It is there's a small northern section of Lake Jocassee that um, that we actually have a boundary on. I had no no idea that the park had a lake. part of it is as well. Of course most of Lake Jocassia is in South Carolina. Our most of our waterfalls, there are a handful of directions to get to them. Um they require um, above average navigational skills just for the fact that um, a lot of them don't have trails to them at all. Um there are a couple of them that have social trails that people have been using. Um and there is um Upper Bear Wallow Falls is um, our most popular waterfall that's within within gorgeous State Park. Um, that hike is um, round trip is only is a little bit under a mile, so it's completely, um, you know, it, it's completely attainable by most most hi, um, hikers. Um, folks with accessibility um, challenges um, won't be able to get down there. Um, there's a couple more local waterfalls outside the park for those folks, but um, unfortunately, we don't have anything that's immediately accessible um, as far as that goes. But there. Um, the one of the main, the main access areas is where the visitor center is. That's the Grassy Creek side of the park. Uh, but we also have a small access off of Frozen Creek Road um, on the eastern side of the park, and that's aptly named Frozen Creek Access. Um, and that um, puts you in on the Augur Hole road Road, which, which bisects the park more or less uh, north and south. Um, a lot of the waterfalls are off. Um, of that road, uh, the, the one challenge with the state park, which is one of the things that makes it so beautiful, is is the backcountry and getting in um, and, and walking in. All that stuff has to be on foot. So when you start talking about some of the waterfalls to see within the park, and you start talking about seven and ten mile round trip hikes, uh, it starts to ruin some of the some of the enthusiasm about getting getting to the waterfall. So. Um, people usually, usually the average is, is three or four miles is what the average park visitor wants to walk. Once you start talking about seven and ten, that starts to, to call out interest pretty quick. So, so those this waterfalls, um, you know, are, are, are a lot of them are hidden gems. Um, and they're, you know, the the immediate environments around them, the spray fields, um, are all very unique um, because of the way they sit on the, the Appalachian, or the Southern Appalachians, um, but also just, um, you know, there a lot of them are undisturbed, which is really um, a a great a great thing about the park is that it protects a lot of those.
0: Oh, that's great. And so because a lot of that is backcountry, and this is this is another thing that I've learned recently, uh, and I can't wait to explore more Gorgeous Day Park. But one of the things that I learned is that it's mostly the camping and overnight opportunities are mostly backcountry. So you're you're having to hike and walk into them, which makes it undisturbed and, and probably pristine experience. But one of the things that's really exciting that's coming up is a front country campground within gorgeous state park. And I know that you're extremely excited about that. And I know that listeners will be excited to hear about it as well. So let's talk a little bit about the front country experience, because it seems to me that that's going to open up a whole nother type of experience for people to come and and explore you know, for a few days, gorgeous state park, as opposed to coming in, doing a couple quick trips, and then not going within, you know, the inner sanctum of gorgeous state park with all the the back country. So now you can experience this on the front country, uh, and spend a few days here to explore a little bit more.
1: Absolutely, it, it, and we will still have um, our backcountry options. Uh, a lot of those are you know two, five, seven mile round trip hikes into the backcountry um, until. Um, This July, we actually had. um, It really depends on, uh, you know, your experience level of 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 camping. Uh, We did have a. uh, a I would consider it front country. Some people would consider it back country. It was uh, a campground of eight spots that still had a pit toilet, didn't have any running water. Um, and it was it was only about a quarter of a mile there and a quarter of a mile out. So that campground was actually just closed in July in anticipation for our front country camping because they're so close proximity that we didn't want to confuse. Um, we didn't want confusion with the public coming um, to stay at one and, and, with, and you know, can't you have to hike in a quarter mile. You can't drive your RV to those sites. That said, our our front country camp campground was supposed to be completed all, the first week of August. And as we sit right now and talk, um, our our campground's still not complete. In typical typical state government fashion, um, project fashion, we're we're well behind. There's been a handful of delays with that campground, but we're hoping um, that campground is supposed to be completed. I'm, I'm hoping. Uh, around the first of the year at, at this point, there's a handful of material delays and um, things like that that have come along with it. I am really excited about it um, for a couple of different reasons. Um it offers it we we have three different camping options that are in that campground. Um, they are um, traditional tent sites where you pull your car in and you um, camp at a tent site that is immediately adjacent to your car the there is also RV sites. There's full Class A RV hookup sites with septic, uh, water, and power hookups. And then we have um, we have five, five camper cabins, which are when the term cabin, they're they're prefabricated structures, and there are two rooms. They don't have um, uh, any water or plumbing, but they do have HVAC, um, so you can stay cool in the winter and warm in the winter. Uh, the winter and those three options, I think, are really, um, really complete the camping um, operations that we have here at Gorge, because you have um, almost all all of the different types of camping um, to ease people into camping. Um, meaning, you know, the, the the front country campground has um, has a bathhouse, so folks who come to tent camp or stay in the camper cabins can use the shower facilities and use um, you know, normal flushing toilets which um, is a hard thing for some folks in camping to get past. So yeah. you know the, the difference between having a shower and having flushable toilets is, is a really big um, draw for some folks because they don't like to go out in the woods in a pit toilet without a shower. That introduction allows um, folks who have never camped before to ease into camping. They can come and stay in one of our camper cabins that way if it rains the experience isn't completely terrible Um, and that it provides them a little bit of a a couple of steps to get into maybe eventually backcountry camping where they're carrying all their gear um, on their back. Um, The other thing that's really exciting about that campground and those RV sites is is that when I was here originally um, as a park ranger in 2011, people were calling um, to see if we had RV sites then. So that was about 10 years ago, um, and those phone calls haven't stopped. So the, the need and for RV camping has been here um, and for a while. So we've had a bunch of calls um, asking when the RV sites are, are going to be open. There are 14 RV sites, um, 16 tent camping sites, and those five camper cabins. And of those 14 RV sites and the five camper cabins, I, I anticipate that they'll be full um, year-round. They're all going to be reservable when they do come online. Um, but I, I anticipate that people will be using those uh, even in the winter. Uh, and... and one of the things that has surprised me is, is that uh, North Carolina State Parks, when you camp in within North Carolina State Parks, uh, we have a limit of 14 camping days within 30. Um, and there have been people on a very regular basis calling um, about 14-day um, stays in an RV. So we'll, I anticipate we'll have a lot of folks in RVs that are staying for a solid two weeks, which is uh, something I didn't I, – I knew we'd have some interest, but I didn't know there was going to be as much interest even just on – gauged from phone calls. So it's exciting to have those opportunities for the park. I think it's going to bring a different a different type of visitor to the park to experience the park. So I know we're looking forward
0: to it. Oh, that's so great. And I love the fact, that, like, like you said, there's three different components to it. And so I know even within my own family and extended family that there are people who would be fine with the tents. There's people who aren't going to go and sleep on the ground. They want that cabin. And then I have my mm-hmm. folks with their 34-foot Georgetown That that is their thing. And so to have the ability to sort of be all together and everybody experiencing it in their own way, whatever they're comfortable with, uh, uh, I think is pretty darn amazing. So I I know a family unit that's going to be making reservations as soon as we can. It looks like we're going to be fighting people for (laughs) reservations to get in there.
1: Yeah, it's been um, we've had a lot of interest. We we also have a volunteer program in which uh, we will have camp hosts that um, help us you know, make visitor contacts, and those are going to be staying on a, a month-to-month basis. There are generally a lot of folks that um, who have retired and are, are, are living the camp host life, and we've had a tremendous amount of uh, interest in camp hosting as well. We pro- probably get an email um, on average probably every two to three days about camp hosting. So nice to have all the interest, and I, I, as I said, I think it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, oh, well, I think a lot of folks are going to really enjoy it.
0: That's awesome, and so you've alluded to this a couple of times, but I'm surprised to know that this will be—you'll open up at the first of the year, but this campground will be one that will be open up 12 months out of the year for camping.
1: It will. It'll be open year round. Yeah, all of our camping, um, all of our camping, to include backcountry, is um, is open year round. Um, Christmas. Uh, the only with the ex, with the only one day exception of Christmas, we're clo- we're closed on Christmas.
0: Wow. Wow, that is absolutely amazing. We'll do everything that we can um, to help be a megaphone for for you and and for the opening as you kind of get closer to it. So I'm I'm excited for you and I'm excited for the visitors who are going to be able to come and, again, not just have to drive in and, and then leave. Because, as you say, where you are located, you can get to Cashers and Brevard, but, you know, it's not like it's 15 minutes down the road. I mean, when you come to Georgia State Park, you're making a commitment. In some ways, I mean, not like you're driving into the desert, but I mean, you're, you're you've got to want to be there.
1: Yeah, the the one thing are all of our reservations will be um, they'll be on Reserve America, um, which is a, a company that runs reservations for a handful of different state park agencies as well as the federal government. Uh, the important thing to note right now is that the re- the reservations are not available online because we haven't put them online yet. Okay. Um, with the continued delay, it's been very hesitant to. You know, put those sites on there because it just seems like it keeps getting delayed more and more. So I'd I'd rather make people wait a little bit than have them make reservations and have to call them to cancel their you know their their waiting
0: plans. Talk about some of the other things that you can do. Now your your visitor center is absolutely mind blowing. It is so beautiful. It's LEED certified. It is aesthetically gorgeous. I mean, it's a beautiful visitor center, but talk about some of the other things that are right there in the state park to do. And if you want, you can certainly talk about, you know, any of the other things like Whitewater Falls or some of the other, you know, local assets or natural resources that are are right nearby. So when visitors come and stay in their RV or tent or cabin, they they have a lot of options.
1: The visitor center, it was was actually relatively new by um, state park standards. It was completed in 2012 along with a lot of our infrastructure. The roads um, are relatively new within the park. They were um, completed around 2010 and our picnic shelters and maintenance area were all completed uh, around the same time, 2012. So, the visitor center its definitely a LEED certified visitor center. It has We're very fortunate to have it and, and one of the reasons why was, um, we've been pushing to do education programs for schools is that we actually have um, a classroom within the building that we use for environmental education. We We do have an amphitheater um, both inside and outside, we have or an amphitheater inside, but we've got an auditorium inside that we do presentations. There is an informational video that, you know, that of the 8,000 acres, the visitor center and the development of the park is actually just a very small portion. So to see the inside without, you know, on a rainy day or without having to actually walk, you know, 8, 10, 12 miles, um, that video does a really great, um, re- really great service to get people into the park without actually having to, you know, to walk for. Miles and miles. That we have museum-grade uh, exhibits within the visitor center and, um, and an outdoor amphitheater that we do um, do educational programs from time to time. The, the park. Uh, we've talked a lot about hiking and um, and camping, but we also have mountain, some mountain bike options and horseback riding options, um, all accessible from the east side of the park. And of course, because of all of our streams, a lot of folks come to fly fish in the park. It, it's it's one of those spots that you have to work for the fish that you catch. Just because you have to you generally have to walk a good ways. To, but people do fish within the park. Um, this whole area, the whole all of, all of Transylvania County, is really an epic spot to to um, to trout fish. And, and people people utilize that within the park. We we are located um, we're pretty. We're we. On one of our boundaries, we have the Toxaway Game Lands, which is owned and managed by the North Carolina Wildlife Resource Commission. Uh, we also have boundaries with U.S. Forest Service, as we talked about, and the U.S. Forest Service owns and manages the highest waterfall that's east of the Mississippi, which is just down the road from Gorges. It's Whitewater Falls. Uh, it's about an eight-eight uh, eight mile drive down the road. So, we are situated in between Cashers and Brevard, and, and so when when tourists are coming out this direction, our visitor center you know, serves as a contact point for gorgeous state park, but there are folks that come with a lot of questions of, of surrounding waterfalls and surrounding areas. So we're able to, we're very fortunate to provide opportunity that to, to touch base with people and kind of get them back on track. Cause there'll be a lot of people that show up at the visitor center that are still trying to figure out where the heck they're at <laughs> in, in Transylvania County. So, um, it's, um, you know, it's a really great opportunity to touch base with folks and, and, and one of the one of the number one questions we get is where are the bathrooms? So we have public <laughs> restrooms uh, within the visitor center that you know provide a, a lot of much much needed relief for folks when they're when they've been on the road for a while. So you know this area is 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 becoming um, Transylvania County and as a whole is becoming ecotourism mecca for any number of things. Um, we have a lot of depending on rare bird sightings. Um, we've got uh, the birder community comes and and to the park occasionally um obviously photography mountain biking we we provide a lot of outdoor recreation opportunities but this area as a whole is um is just drawing people from all over just and especially if you're here now we're, we're we're we may be just a little past peak leaf season but um this year the leaves have been one of the most um it's been one of the most spectacular leaf seasons that i've i've seen since i've been in the mountains it's really it's really breathtaking right now so a lot of people are here to see the beauty
0: yeah, yeah, you're not kidding. This was a weird one this year too. Like, you know, last year was was pretty amazing and then this year it seemed like that we started off and then it stalled and then I'm like, oh gosh, here we go. All these leaves are going to be off and we had a few storms come in and that wasn't the case. This is like you say this has been one of the most absolute vibrant years that I can remember um in recent history anyway and it's yeah, it's uh, it's beautiful. Uh, in fact, that whole area down there where you are just kind of tucked into the escarpment, being on the South Carolina border. I have to admit that, you know, I haven't really explored that area as much as I have other areas uh, to explore in Western North Carolina. But um, I was at Sassafras Mountain. It's a little off topic, but I was at Sassafras Mountain sure. uh, last Friday, and uh, I enjoyed it. The, the colors up there were absolutely stunning. There's a, you know, new, a couple of new camps up there. It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's a beautiful area and I'm definitely going to be exploring that more. And that's the nice thing about where you are is you can explore North Carolina. You can explore South Carolina. You're just, you're in such a great location with so many things that are, that are right around you right there at Gorgeous State Park for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I will, I'm embarrassed to admit that I've never been to Sasquatch Mountain you know, for the folks that aren't that aren't locals, S4S Mountain is actually the highest point in South Carolina, and and I get it's really we we sit in an area that has kept kind of kept us flying under the radar. We've got National Forest opportunities. We've got Dupont State Forest, which is in which is in Brevard, and that's all close to Brevard, and that get those both those areas down in that area get tremendous visitation, and and we are we're about um, about a 30-minute drive from Brevard. And that's, um, I think that that distance, it, it, you know, in my opinion, I go, I get my groceries in Brevard, so it's not a, not a long drive to me. But there are a lot of folks that don't. You know, they see all that stuff in the Brevard area, and they never make it up here. So it's um, it's kind of a hidden gem. I, I didn't mean that to be a pun yeah, with yeah. being in the town of Sapphire, but um, <laughs> I guess it came out that way. Um,
0: it's true. But
1: we we are... It's it's really remarkable how this area is just it flies under the radar, um, and that that trickles down into South Carolina as well. Um, Lake Joe Cassie um, is kind of hidden. Um, we, as I said, we've got a portion of that that's within state park. Um, you don't hear people talk about Lake Joe Cassie either because Lake Kiwi is just to the south, uh, just southeast of it. So um, there, the, it's I don't. I guess I'm kind of happy the fact that people don't know about it because it keeps the visitation you know, relatively manageable. Um, we do get busy um, like everybody else does, but we don't have some of the numbers that some of the real busy places have. So it it only adds to the allure of the area. Keeps it kind of nice, to be honest.
0: Yep. I can completely relate. You know, there's those places that are the Instagram worthy places or Facebook worthy places. And, you know, those are some of the places that I love. Um, I'm going to hit those in some of the off season, but You know, I think it's uh, so important to for even for the impact, for the ecotourism, even for the for the impact on on the the environment to just kind of spread out a little bit. And that's what I love about where you are. And I want to uh, explore there even more. And that whole the whole area that we're talking about, I want to explore, which really kind of leads me to another point that I know is very important to you. And you've mentioned it a couple of times now. So I think it's a great time to kind of jump into it, but environmental education programs—it pulls at your heart, I know. And I wondered if you can kind of talk a little bit about the need for that, why it's so important, and then why environmental education programs really just kind of get you jazzed up, Kevin.
1: Sure, um, environmental education has been um, has been a passion of mine for for a really long time. It's it's one of the I have a degree in outdoor recreation and focused on environmental education. Um, so when I got into, um, you know, working for North Carolina State Parks, I had served and done an internship for the National Park Service in Montana working as a, an interpreter. And, uh, and it's not, not an interpreter in the typical sense of interpreting um, a, a language, but it's it's interpreting the resource. So it, you'll, you'll hear people reference it as a, an interpretation or environmental education. And it's it's just relaying, you know, really for me it was, it was always just relaying um, to folks and educating folks about the things I thought were really cool. Um, mm-hmm. I, I am you know, everybody that does environmental education. They they have their um, their one thing that they're really passionate about. And I have um, had snakes as pets and, and have enjoyed educating people on snakes for um, a really long time. And that's one of the things that I enjoy teaching people about the most. Just it's one of those hot button topics that um, a lot of people don't like snakes, and it's it's so I've naturally gravitated to. To interest in trying to to combat some of that fear. But, um, you know, I, I studied environmental education in school um, and, and got on with North Carolina State Parks, and, and our job is multifaceted. But one of the things that I still hold on to that's, that's my favorite part of the job is the environmental education aspect of it. Um, and really, you know, without, um, I, I enjoy environmental education on all age levels. Um, I specifically enjoy, you know, our next generations, because um, to me, without you know, without educating our next generations, our 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 nec- our ki- our kids and our our kids' kids, without that, if if, if people don't care about our our natural resources, then um, they won't be here in the in the future. So, um, you know, it's a little bit. I will say, I guess it's a little bit selfish. Uh, you know, it, I try to educate people on the importance of the things that I care about the most because. Um, it's what i you know the the recreation component of our mission statement is something that i'm i'm passionate about as well i, I know from our conversation your and i conversation that um, being out in the the natural natural uh natural world is is something that refreshes us um and, and i i see the value in in the mental um and physical well-being of people from being in the outdoors and and as i said if if people don't appreciate um those natural resources then eventually they're going to be gone um, yeah. so that's it's definitely something that's um close to my heart because it's something i'm passionate about but also it's you know as i said i guess it's a little selfish to, to just try and get people to to enjoy and, and seek the importance of it um here at the park um we've we have you know we've we've had a shortage of ranger staff which is our our main environmental educators so we're shifting gears we have um, when I came in May, we had two rangers, and since then we've hired one who's our um, our head uh, an interpretation education ranger. Her name is Melanie Briley, um, and we're about to um, – we have one of our rangers, because we're law enforcement, we have to go through a fairly uh, extensive background, uh, background investigation. We have another uh, offer uh, for – a conditional offer for one of our other rangers, uh, her name um, – and she will um, – she's actually uh, – an employee right now of Muddy Sneakers, which does environmental education. Oh, yeah. So we're going to be um, pushing forward, um, hopefully, to offer more environmental education opportunities, both for the general park visitor um, of all ages, but also our, our local school groups, because um, we have a, a big tourist um, a tourist visitation uh, base here at the park, um, but we don't have a tremendous um, we don't have a tremendous uh, presence from local folks, which um, is something that we're hoping to fix with, you know, getting into the schools and getting the kids interested about the park and, and asking their parents to push them, you know, push their parents to come to the park. So uh, we offer general education programs um, here at the park on a, on a monthly basis. Um, all of those can be found, you know, online, but um, we do have some handful of them coming up here in November as well through the month. So generally they're on the weekends right now because that's when most of our visitation is.
0: Oh, interesting. Very interesting to me. Well, so along with the education piece and the environmental education programs, it seems to me an offshoot of that is definitely talking about waterfall safety, hiking safety, and you know, just general overall safety. But because you are in the land of the waterfalls and there have been, you know, you just have to say it face on, there have been deaths there at Rainbow Falls. There have been uh, deaths in a lot of the waterfalls. And there's a huge push right now. And I think uh, Brevard is doing a, a wonderful job uh, of talking about waterfall safety. But I, I, I would imagine that is just paramount with you all.
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, the all of our state parks across the state, all of our, our natural areas, whether it doesn't matter who manages them, if there's a waterfall um, that is you know, widely visited, um, almost all of them have had some sort of issues in the past. Um, and and I will um, completely agree with you. I, when I was here from 2011 to 13, there wasn't the push with Brevard Tourism. Right now, Brevard Tourism is doing, um, they've got an initiative called Waterfall Wise. And, 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 you know, in 2000, when I was here the first time, that waterfall issues were still, um, it's not nothing new. It's something that's always been here. I'm really excited that you know, the tourism board has, has you know they've kind of they've kind of faced it and squared off with it head on, which has been you know really fantastic um, to be a part of. General waterfall safety, um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where you know our waterfalls are beautiful. Um, the first thing that people want to do is get in. Um, you know, the water here, or the water quality in a lot of our waterfalls and a lot of our streams and rivers in Transylvania County is very high. Um, it's very inviting to want to get in, especially if you spent you know an hour a couple of hours in the summertime walking yeah and it's warm um and and even when you know someone someone who has walked a lot around waterfalls um I still underestimate how slippery the rocks are mm-hmm. um, I still I can't tell people that I walk through streams and don't you know trip and fall myself or slip and fall mostly um because the rocks are always they're always slicker than I think they are and I spend a lot of time walking you know in and around the streams here in Transylvania um it it's some of some of the things to remember um, seem almost foolish for me, um, you know, to say that they're they're so obvious. But um, you know, people still make some of the same mistakes. One one of the challenges that we have, you know, um, immediately local here on the Horse Pasture River is is that um, Turtleback Falls is immediately above Rainbow Falls. Um, you know, the Rainbow Falls is about 100. I've I've heard two things. I've heard I've heard anywhere between 100 and 120 feet tall. Um, and obviously, um, you can, you, know, you can't slide or jump off of that waterfall. Um, but people do swim at the bottom of that waterfall. Um, and right above it is Turtleback Falls. It's just a couple hundred yards above upstream. And it's, it's a very popular, um, a place for people to swim. It's one of those places that, um, Outside Magazine had a Facebook post. And, um, you know, a lot of local folks always cringe when their favorite waterfall gets on, yeah. on a social media post because it's like, oh, it just got ruined. Yeah. Um. And, um, so the, you know, when you put a really popular, uh, swimming area above a, uh, you know, a quite a substantial waterfall, it it creates problems. Um, and one of, some of the things that people, um, people always, uh, overestimate, um, their swimming ability, um, and, and, and really, um, I, you know, the times that I've spent, um, working in parks in in general is, is that I, I think in, in general people, um, don't see the inherent risk with with being outdoors, regardless if it's in a waterfall or not. This what we have here is not a theme park. If you go to um, you know a local theme park or, or you know even some of these other theme parks that are that are even in this area, there's a false uh, there's a sense of security there that people have gone through, checked all the rod, rides. There's all these um, associations and all these agencies that make sure they're all safe, um, and we don't have those. Waterfalls don't have those. There's no you know there's no waterfall association that goes through and makes sure that no one's going to get hurt on the waterfall. And I think there's a false sense of security that people have um, when they're in and around these waterfalls that everything's going to be okay. Um, and you know just respecting the waterfalls for what they are, giving the waterfalls distance. Um, and a lot of people, um, I think they succumb to peer pressure. If you spend any time down near or around any of the waterfalls in this county, you know, there's one person that will will gain the courage to go up and jump off of a waterfall um then a couple people a couple more people jump off and then there's always you know there's always a handful of people in the crowd that try to one up so then there's one person that tries to do a front flip then there's a back flip and the next thing you know um it, it's people are doing crazy things off of waterfalls um you know the number one thing that we tell people within state parks and 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 our numbers actually show it um the drownings across North Carolina state parks, whether it's a, um, you know, whether it's a lake, whether it's the ocean, um, whether it's here in the mountains in a stream, um, uh, the majority, and, you know, uh, I would say a 90% or more of our drownings that happen within North Carolina state parks are in undesignated swimming areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, um, you know, uh, what folks always come into the park and they always ask about animals and they're afraid of snakes and they're afraid of bears. Um, And we generally don't have problems with the animals we have problems with the swimming our swimming is our number one thing um, that we have falls from um, waterfalls or and or just overlooks and things like that where people have just gotten too close um it it, those are our two of our main main problems that we have in north carolina state park so um what we tell people is to not swim in waterfalls and that's you know a tough thing to ask people to do um, but our numbers support the fact that you know, swimming in undesignated areas as inherently risky. Um, and, um, you know, one of the other things that I ask people to do is, is just because somebody else is doing it doesn't mean, you know, doesn't mean you should be doing it. Right. I would imagine that everybody has been, my mother used to tell me all the time, it's just, you know, if someone would jump off a bridge, would you do it? Um, and that's one of those things that just because someone's doing it doesn't mean doesn't mean it's good, doesn't mean it's safe. So um, taking a step back and not getting caught up in the moment um and and and, give, and respecting waterfalls for what they are, giving them the, their space and their distance. Um, just because a rock doesn't look slick doesn't mean it's not. Um, yeah. And and that's something that we have a lot of problems. And and we're very fortunate this year. We were very fortunate along that river. You know, we those slips and falls um, this year just generated. Um, we had a couple of broken ankles and you know broken wrists, things like that, but nothing major. So that's that's really fantastic because. Um as passionate as I am about educating people about the the creepy crawlers in the park the snakes and things like that, as i'm I'm just as passionate about getting people here to visit enjoy it and then and then sending them home safely, yeah,
0: yeah, no doubt well, you know we were talking earlier about sometimes people just don't know what they don't know and and if you haven't been around waterfalls, you're new to them um just understanding as you're saying just how slick those those rocks can definitely be and uh, I'm as guilty as, as the next, you know, we had a pretty scary situation with my daughter. It was, it was a different waterfall, but uh, she wasn't doing, she wasn't being you know unruly or she wasn't running around waters. You know, she just, she, she just got too close and um, sure. there was some rhododendron. It was thick and it was in a, uh, an area that you're talking about, it was undesignated swimming area. And I saw her and heard her at the same time. And it was just a little pour over, but you know, it was quite cold, and 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 the water was moving swiftly too. And so, um, you know, I still replay that in my brain, just giving thanks that you know she's she's fine. But it it only takes a split second. So, yes, not to you know overstate it or you know try to be the boogeyman and 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 encourage people not to go to see waterfalls. Just just do it safely. Just be aware of your surroundings. If you see signs and those signs say you know don't, then don't just don't be uh you know don't don't recklessly you know hurt yourself cuz you know there's there's so much beauty that's out there there's so many things you can enjoy just just be smart just use you know a lot of times it's just like using your common sense it seems to me
1: definitely um you know the the thing i, I don't it's always intriguing to me you know there are, we we always have in, in, in management of these areas we always have these you know the staff always you know obviously um, not out in the public. We always have these, you know, these discussions and these battles of, you know, putting signs here and don't putting signs there. And if you have too many signs, people won't read them, and all these things. And it's one thing to remember that, you know, all these agencies, not just North Carolina State Park Service, but I can I can speak with for for the Forest Service, National Park Service, um, our state forestry. Um, you know, the folks the folks that manage these areas put signs in areas for a reason. Um, it's not just because, you know, we, we like to sit in the visitor center or sit up in the parking lots and watch people's day ruined because they can't get an extra 10 feet closer to the waterfall. It's the reason that, you know, the reason that folk, we don't try to ruin people's visit. We're actually trying to keep them from, from ruining their visit You're trying to keep people safe um responding to medical um you know med- emergency medical response um all the folks that i've ever met that do have that do it for a living and, and do it don't you know don't would much rather have a day where they don't have to respond to anything um you know we we enjoy providing that service but we're not trying to ruin anybody's visit we're just trying to make it make it a good visit and and one of the things that you know a lot of folks um don't realize that that contributes and, and it's it was a very strange thing for me um, to learn um, specifically about Rainbow Falls is, 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 you know, one of the things you can do from about keeping yourself safe around waterfalls is keeping your dog on a leash. And, you know, to, before I came to this area, I would have, you know, I would have argued with myself and, and said, well, what does that have anything to do with it? But we've had, um, and, you know, I wouldn't say countless, but I don't know the exact number. We've had a bunch of dogs that have gone, you know, it, the dogs that like to go in the water they go into the water above one of the waterfalls the dog starts to get closer to the waterfalls people you know their owners i'm a dog owner you know you the first thing you do is as you freak out you try to try to go after your dog and then it puts people into a precarious position um that's something something that could have been avoided just by keeping your dog on a leash so there's actually ties um to bad situations with with something as simple as having a dog off a leash so um, that's one thing that a lot of people don't think about doing, especially in those congested areas. Um, you know, a dog, a couple of reambunctious dogs, um, in around a dangerous area may may push somebody, um, you know, literally or figuratively, you know, too close to the edge, and that, that causes an issue as well.
0: Kevin, talk about hiking safety. And we talked a lot about the waterfalls, but do you, there's a lot of a backcountry experience. for somebody who is maybe going from that one mile, two mile hike, to I want to stretch us out a little bit. Talk a little bit about the hiking safety.
1: You know, as an environmental educator. Um, one of the things that, um, you know, we pushed is to trying to get, uh, trying to get more people outdoors. Um, as we all know, anybody that's spent any time outside in the last year and a half or so with the pandemic, uh, we realized that that, that push has, has overflowed a lot of our natural areas. Um, it's been really great to see a bunch of people that have gotten outdoors that have never been outdoors, but that's, um, brought in a lot of inexperienced folks who, you know, have, have, um, you know, I, I. I credit social media for getting people interested in the outdoors, but it's also something that you know if people see these pictures and they don't realize that getting to some of these areas isn't just a, a you know a couple of minute hike and flip flops, and, and that's um, you know one of the things that I've seen routinely is people that just aren't aren't prepared for the weather. Um, you know, as we talked about earlier, this is considered a temperate rainforest, so. At, at pretty much any time, whether it's forecasted or not um you can anticipate rain, so it's always good to have um you know multiple layers um i me personally i always go hiking um with stuff um that i i you know generally don't use um and it's always much better to be over prepared than it is is um and i it's it's always much better to have one too many layers than it is uh, not enough layers so um, you can shed layers, but you can't gain layers if you don't have them and you're out in the woods um, uh, you know touching base on flip flops um it sounds you know sounds like I'm kind of joking and 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 you know being a little dramatic, but um, you'd be surprised at what kind of footwear uh, people come into the park wearing or or i guess not wearing um I've seen um the hike down to rainbow falls is is a three mile round trip, and I've seen people that do it bare feet um all the way down um so yeah. When you go into the backcountry, um, it's really important to have stu- sturdy foot, uh, footwear because uh, a lot of the a lot of uh, calls we get to go carry people out is because they've got a broken ankle, um, mm-hmm. and or you know injured wrist, or or they've fallen and hit their head. Um, that's resulted from you know, you know tripping or or tweaking an ankle or something like that. So, good footwear is always something that's very important to have when you're out walking. And making sure that you eat and you drink water. Uh, we have um, a, a lot of our visitors here to the park are from flat country, whether it's um, eastern North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. Uh, we have a lot of folks from Florida, um, Louisiana. Um, all those areas, people have come up and they're they're not used to the topography at all. Um, so I, I always challenge people to to ease into it. Um, you know, people that are we've had to go out and get. Um, they're on a, an 8 or a 10 or a 12-mile hike, um, and they've never been hiking before. Oh, wow. um, that's not something that we had we had run into too often, but with, with all the new folks getting in the outdoors from the pandemic, um, you know, that's something that we see now uh, uh, more frequently. So uh, people are unprepared. Um, you know, driving a mile takes, you know, depending on where you're driving can take you just a minute, but walking a mile, especially in the local topography, can take you, in some instances, up to 30 minutes, if not longer. Um so just being prepared for the topography, um being researched on your area uh, on the area you're hiking, but um you know, eating eating a good meal even before you go hiking. Um some of the folks that we have to um we have to give rides out of rain, uh, some of our steeper steeper areas. Um it's you know, four and five o'clock in the afternoon and we've asked people Um, you know, they're lightheaded there. Um, and we've asked people what they've had to eat for the day. And they, they talk about eating a pop tart or a bagel at, um, seven or eight o'clock in the morning. And they haven't eaten anything in, you know, eight, 10 hours. And that's regardless of your, you know, your physical, your physical abilities. If you don't, um, fuel your body and you don't drink the you don't hydrate your body. Um, you know, you, people run into problems much quicker than they thought. And it kind of checks up their, their ego a little bit when they're, you know, they got to get a ride out or, or get carried out in some instances.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. For me, I'll struggle with uh, low blood sugar. And if I sure. haven't eaten or even if I have, but I just haven't had enough calories. And as you're saying, I'm not t- sort of taken into account. And usually I like to be researched up. You know, I like to be safe. I like to be prepared. But, you know, there have been those occasions where I have maybe not as had as many calories as I need to or the right type of fuel, not right type of food. And, um, it, it is pretty bad when you're sitting on the side of the trail and the group can't go on because my you know heart rate won't regulate and my blood sugar is out of whack. So that ruins the day for everybody. So I'm so glad that you brought that up because unfortunately I've made that mistake more times than I care to admit, but, but yeah, it, it can, it can definitely ruin your day. And, uh, the, the whole piece about having your pack full, you know, mine's right here beside me uh, here in the studio and it, uh, it's so funny you say that because there's so many times I want to unpack it but I have to fight against that and just say leave it packed. You know, I'll take some shirts out, you know, I'll take a layer out, but usually has my first aid kit, usually has a, you know, a few pairs of socks and you know definitely some maps. I always bring paper maps. It's one of the things that so many people rely on uh, the all trails and those are wonderful resources, but you know a lot of our places here, man, you not only can your battery uh, your phone battery die, but you're not going to get service either. So Understanding sure. what you said about researching up about your area—that is so so key. So thank you for bringing that up too.
1: Absolutely, and I with with your reference of all trails, I I will you know we at all the parks that I've worked at, it's always been a challenge because a lot of the all trail stuff that is put on or, or other other apps, uh, uh, you know, other websites, that information, um, a lot of that information is not put on there by the agency that manages it. Um, so there's a lot of misinformation out there Um, so when when people use those those various different uh, methods to try and gain information on different trails or different um, waterfalls things like that it's always best to make sure that you call those areas if you're unfamiliar to call those areas those agencies in this particular case you know call our visitor center you know ask us about local conditions double check on you know, is this trail really even there? Um, we've I've seen people walking on the road here at Gorges, and I, I said, do you know where you, you know, I'll ask them, I'm like, where are you hiking from? They said, well, we hike down to Turtleback Falls, we're taking the loop. I said, you realize there's no loop, right? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we saw online that there's a loop, and we, you know, it ends up turning a, a three-mile hike into a six-mile hike, and Yikes. if you don't, if you only have a certain amount of water for a three-mile hike or a certain amount of food, um, and you end up taking a six-mile hike, it's one of those things that can make, you know, an enjoyable day uh, not so enjoyable. So, you know, just being researched is, is really important. You know, one of the things that I have noticed is, and and I hear it in people's voice when they call, um, is just because you have a cell phone or just because you have cell phone reception uh, doesn't mean people will be there in five minutes to help you.
0: Mm, um, good so point.
1: You, you can get through, but in a lot of instances, a lot of places that I've worked um, here, Grandfather Mountain and Mount Mitchell, you know, people will call and I'll finally make contact with them two and three hours later. So it's not just because you can call somebody doesn't mean we're going to be there right away. Regardless of the emergency, we can all, you know, first responders can only get to you as, as fast as, as, as a certainly, you know, reasonably possible in some of these circumstances. And, and there's no, you know, there's no magic portal that takes us to these different areas. We A lot of times, we have to get there just the same way that people have gotten to where they're at. So, there's no secret passageways.
0: Well, Kevin, I tell you what, I, I really do appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with me, enlightening us on all the things you have going on at Gorgeous Day Park, all the different hats that you wear, the safety. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it's so amazing. So, people like yourself are just what make um, all of our experiences when we come to your parks uh, that, much, that much better. But, I can't thank you enough for being here i wish you all the best on the opening of the new campground i know as you've mentioned that people are have been asking you for years already so wondering whether or not people will come is not even a question you just know they will it's just a matter of really the question of how long will it be before i can actually get in and stay with all the reservations that people are trying to make so just i, I really appreciate your time thanks for what you do it's important work and uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you and getting to know a little bit more about this wonderful state park that I love.
1: Absolutely. I, I appreciate the time. I, I, as I said, I'll talk about gorges all day long. It's it's nice to have interest in the park. And, and as I tell folks that without people visiting the park, I wouldn't be able to do, be here to do um, what I enjoy doing. So I'm Always appreciative of visitors, hopefully folks who are listening to this podcast generate some interest and hopefully we'll, we'll see them either out on the trail or, or, or pass passing somewhere along in the park.
0: Like many people, I first visited Gorgeous State Park to hike to Rainbow in Turtleback Falls and I quickly realized that there is so much more to do at this lesser visited gym. The addition of the Front Country Campground is going to be a huge asset and I imagine it will make this park a destination to explore for a weekend or even longer. The rugged beauty of Gorge State Park allows visitors to feel removed from civilization while walking deep into the gorgeous wilderness. It is the perfect place for those who enjoy longer backcountry hikes and camping or those seeking to extend their hiking distance. And, as Kevin pointed out, fly fishing, mountain biking, and horseback riding can also be enjoyed within the confines of the park. I hope a visit to Gorge State Park is in your future. I know it's in mine. I cannot wait for that campground to open. If you enjoy this episode, then you'll definitely want to subscribe to the podcast so you can stay up to date with all future episodes. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram. And feel free to reach out to me at mike at explorationlocal.com if you have an idea for a future episode. I'd love to connect with you. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Until we meet again, I encourage you to wander far, but explore local.